We started last week and we're looking at this account with uh, Lydia. This is where Paul has gone into uh, Philippi. We saw how he got over there, etc. And now Paul is putting his passion into practice. And he starts with this person, Lydia. Now let's go ahead and uh, fill in your notes. First point we saw was we need to reverently pursue gospel opportunities. We need to be serious-minded about looking for these things. Your application statement was the key is to be serious-minded about worshiping our Lord by pursuing opportunities given to us to make disciples for Him. That's what our goal in life is supposed to be. We're, we're to be literally worshiping Him by making Him big in the eyes of others. That's our job. And as we resist that, as we stay from that, we're not being serious-minded about worshiping Jesus. And that's what we are called to do as followers of Him. Second point was we're to refuse to judge on appearance. A number of these had overlap. But with this, we saw Lydia was not somebody that would be a natural contact, a natural desire for a contact. She had negatives about her. But our application statement with this one was we need to take the opportunities we're given and just be faithful with them. That's our job. It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter what the scenario necessarily. We need to be faithful with opportunities that God brings our way. Point three, don't reject undesirable groups. Don't reject undesirable groups. And we do this sometimes as we look at people, and this happened to me this past week, you know, this person would not be interested. That's the thought that went through my head. They would not be a good candidate. How do I know? We need to be open to opportunities. And the application statement for that, when God can save anyone, let's be faithful to give the gospel and let the Lord do His work. He graciously allows us to participate with Him. And that's a blessing. It is such a blessing to know that we can be used of God in that way. Then we look at point four. <coughs> And that's remember the supernatural element. We know the Scriptures. Nobody, nobody comes to Jesus without the Father drawing. The Father is doing a work. When people are coming to Christ, and, and I, don't, I, I don't understand how God gets involved in the mind and how He works in the background, etc., but God is the one drawing people. He is the one who's doing it, and we need to remember that. Uh, your application statement, let's be faithful to give the Gospel as clearly as possible while fully trusting in God to change people's lives. Uh, really the key part with that one too is, is God works. One of the things He has done, we looked at Romans 10:17. faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. God works through this book. And we need to faithfully give this book as accurately as we can. Then point five, repentance is necessary. So we saw the divine side, here's the human side, lined up next to each other. People need to repent. They need to turn to Jesus Christ. And your application statement, the truths of the gospel must be received and embraced in order for salvation to occur. It is not an additional belief, but an exclusive following of Jesus. For you guys who missed the men's breakfast yesterday, that was a topic that we brought up and we discussed at some length. It is a, a commitment that we make to Jesus Christ. Too often, I don't know how all of you were raised, in my background, I remember witnessing to a guy, and, and here's what he told me. I was saved, I was baptized, I backslid. Like backsliding is one of the steps of salvation. It's not. That's an abnormality. 
So when people have this idea, well, I prayed a prayer one time, and I'm, I'm just doing my own thing now, I'm just backslid, but I'm saved. Don't you be putting a lot of stock in that. The Scripture shows that if you want to serve Jesus, you're going to follow Him. There's something to that statement. So, that's something we looked at. Did I just give you point five's application statement? Somebody nod at me. Or... Okay, okay. That helps me. Thank you. And point number six, the result is a changed life. The result is a changed life. That's the best thing you and I can look at in someone else is seeing a life that has been radically changed to be a follower of Jesus. And with Lydia, it was. We saw the baptism, the idea with that, she identified with Jesus. And she did that at her own peril. That's what people today will do. She was also witnessing. People today, they'll be witnessing. If you have something that's awesome, you find the cure to cancer, I'll tell you what, you'll be sharing it. You care, you, you, you'll have that desire to, to help others. We'll do that with our witnessing. Also, she loved other Christians. She wanted to make a difference in them. So your application statement for that last one, let's be serious about following Jesus and letting Him control our lives. Let Jesus control you. That's what we need to do. Okay, that brings us to our new section. Now, I really hope <coughs> it would be my desire that everyone in this room at some point, has had the privilege of being used of God to participate with Him. He allows that. He allows us to come, in a sense, on board with Him and participate in this process of leading someone to faith in Jesus. And if you've experienced that, if you've had that privilege, you know the joy and the excitement that goes along with that. Now granted, here, here's the problem we have sometimes today. It, it is enjoyable. It is uh, exciting to go through it. And so because people, a Christian may like that, what they do is they'll end up going to an extreme and just push, push, push. You've got to pray us. Come on, you, you need to be converted. And, and we end up doing the pushing instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to be doing the drawing. And there's a big difference with that. You and I shouldn't be going to that extreme of just wanting that decision so we, we, we kind of fight for it. Now, that's wrong to do that. But on the other hand, can I just caution us? Sometimes we get on this, this side of, you know what, God's going to do the work and I don't dare say a word. I don't dare question anyone about their salvation. No! No! There, you need to be praying for God to give you a balance to this whole thing and there's nothing wrong. With asking someone, you know, where are you at in your spiritual journey? What is going on with you? What are you thinking? Help them. That's okay. It's when we start the driving process where we've got a problem. And that's very, it's very prevalent today to get somebody to pray a prayer and make a decision. That needs to be avoided. But when a person's ready, when a person is ready to receive Christ, and you get the privilege of helping them, it is a totally awesome experience. Now, side note, uh, and this, this is totally separate from what we're going to be looking at right now, but if you've never had that joy, if you've never been able to lead someone to Christ, don't put yourself on a false guilt trip. Understand that this is a spiritual work that is being done God is the one that is doing it. God will do it in His time. God is the one. He just allows people to get involved in the process. And quite honestly, I've said this before, I think a lot of times what He does is He just lets us get in His way. 
And he has to correct a lot of the, the things that we try to do in helping. He just lets us and encourages us through it. He lets us participate. So God's the one who's got to do it. He lets us water. He lets us sow. But God is the one who gives that increase. What I would encourage each one of us to be doing, let's be praying. God, would you please help me to be in tune with you? Help me to see. Help me to be observant for all these opportunities that you're going to bring along my path. And He does do that. He does bring people along our path. We just need to be praying for to understand it, to notice it, and be willing to befriend people. Not jump on them. Befriend them. Open these doors. As Howell was mentioning, I appreciate that he mentioned they're, they're, they're studying discipleship. That's what we need. We disciple people to Christ. We disciple people when they're in Christ. It's a process. And God lets us participate. If your desire is to be used, if you want that, and let's back up just a little bit there. If you don't want it, you need to really ask God, God, what is wrong with me spiritually? If that idea of helping people spiritually does not you know, flip a switch in my mind to make me want to, to do this, and you're either sick spiritually or you're not saved. Something's wrong. This should be a passion. God will help you as you desire to serve Him in this way. Now, last week, last week we saw an example of this. We saw Paul come along, start working, in this case with Lydia, and we saw the Lord do a, a huge, huge work in Lydia's life. God converted her. That should be an exciting thing. When we see someone converted, it is, it is exciting. But keep this in mind. When God is working, in this case and today, when God is working in someone's life, mark my word, the devil's not far behind. The devil's going to be working as well. This is a spiritual warfare. You're in the, when someone is, be, is converting to Jesus, what they're doing is they're leaving the side of darkness. They're being born again and they're, they're coming to the side of life. They're leaving death and going to life and that is warfare. And that is not going to be received in any way uh, pleasurably by our enemy. So the devil is stepping in and that's what we're going to be seeing today. Now I would suggest maybe, this is why some Christians do not get very excited about wanting to see, getting involved in this process of seeing people come to Christ? Because there's opposition. It's hard. There will be, though, there will be opposition in the spiritual realm that we don't see physically, but there's also, that we're going to see today, opposition in the physical realm. And we experience that. These things are difficult. But remember, even in that opposition, God is working. God can take opposition and He can turn that opposition to His glory. And that's exactly what's going to happen in our text today. Okay, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into these verses. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Lord, I thank You that You are worthy of our praise. I thank You, God, that you, Lord, You've been so good to us. I thank You for lowering Yourself and, and drawing us to You and allowing us to be Your followers. 
Help us to walk worthy. Help us to be faithful to You. Lord, I pray as we take this brief time this morning and look into Your Word, would You please help us to understand it? I pray that You would apply it in each life as You see fit. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to follow You. Lord, I ask for Your help as I preach. Please keep my words accurate. Help me not to be a distraction. God, above all, in some way, glorify Yourself by our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. (coughs) All right, we'll be starting with verse number 16. First point is the devil will react. The devil will react. Verse number 16 says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. There's a number of things in this verse uh, I, want to, I want to point out. But uh, just keep in mind, what's happened here is the devil's territory is about to get invaded. Demons do not like when Christians are advancing the cause of Jesus. Now, I'll say it this way. I don't think that demons or Satan himself is very concerned with Christians who will go to church. Going to church doesn't really do a lot of damage to his dominion. I don't think he's even necessarily that concerned when people start doing religious things. We have people going to church all across this country. We have people who will do religious things every day, but they are not making a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. But when you and I are are, are seeking to, to live for the Lord, to experience and to work in God's power, when we are seeking to make disciples, it's going to get the attention of the enemy because we are invading his territory. And that is exactly what Paul and his team are doing in these verses. They're not, I'm using this word loosely, they're not out there playing church. They're not going to a place on Sunday and doing their thing and then living their life the way they want to. They are serious-minded about making disciples and being a follower of Jesus. They're showing people the Gospel. And it's getting noticed. It's not something they're doing in private. This is an outward thing. Here's the key. What they're doing is they're living out their faith. You don't live out your faith just in a building that's nice on Sunday. You live out your faith all during the week. That's what Paul and his team are doing, and that is the key to being opposed. So if you're not experiencing opposition in any way, you might want to be thinking, am I doing this? What am I doing for Jesus Christ? So let's look at some of these phrases that are used in this verse. It came to pass. In other words, it came into being. The situation developed. This is what happened. As we went to prayer. Now most likely what's happening here is you remember when Paul came into town and they went down by the riverside where prayer was, it was the custom for prayer to be made. That's where they gathered. It was a time of corporate prayer. Well, it's probably another Sabbath day and they're going back down by the river. Now, this is not the, this is not the primary emphasis of this text, what I'm about to say. But, but keep in mind, and maybe you've said this, I don't need to get together with everybody else to pray. 
I can pray on my own. I can pray all by myself and God hears me. You know what? That's absolutely right. You can. I'll tell you what. There is something when corporate prayer is done right. When corporate prayer, when people come together and we want to join each other and pray to our God and bring petitions, there is power in this. And it will be opposed. Why do we think? It's not just because it's a Wednesday night and it's late. Why do you think there's a hesitancy for people to want to come out? Well, I don't want to pray in front of people. Oh, hogwash. Don't give me that. You can pray with me all by your lonesome and we'll be just fine. There is something about corporate prayer. And it will be opposed. You will not often want to come and do it. But they went to prayer. Here, they were calling on the power of God. The devil didn't like it. And so then, here's where the opposition starts coming in. We went to prayer. A certain damsel, a young girl. That alone is heartbreaking to think this young girl was in this thing, possessed with a spirit of divination. Now, this girl was a slave. Look down in verse 19. Her master saw this. This girl is a slave. And I would say this. She's not just a slave one time. She's a slave several times. She's got masters that own her. She's a slave there. This girl is possessed by a demon or multiply. I don't know. She's possessed. She's a slave to Satan himself. She's a slave to her sin. This girl is totally enslaved. I, I, was do, I, I can't verify any of this, but I was reading the, the, uh, uh, an article that said that back in that time frame, this is not unusual. The Roman Empire counted about 60 million slaves. They were everywhere. So for them, not a big deal here. But this is huge. This girl is totally enslaved. And it says it's with a spirit of divination. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one at all, but I'm going to tell you what the words mean. Spirit of divination is literally spirit of python. Spirit of python. So why python? Here's what, here, this is Greek mythology. This is nothing that's, that, that is accurate, so to speak. This spirit of python, what they looked at, and this is very prevalent uh, during this time, there was a large snake that guarded an oracle where truth from the gods would come out, and one of the gods, Apollos, came along, defeated the snake, and opened this oracle up. He opened the truth. So people who were able to tell the future, that's what this girl is. This is the position this girl's in. She was said to have this, so that, that's what's happening in this young girl's life. This girl is demon-possessed, and it is a very uh, ugly time. And it says here, the girl, this possessed, met us. The word met is usually used in Scripture to refer to someone coming to a face-to-face meeting where there's going to be conflict. And it's totally applicable here. This is an, an uncomfortable meeting of, uh, of two opposite positions. And this girl who met them had brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Okay, she was telling the future. And she was doing this through demonic means. Again, reading what some have written from history, what would actually happen is when these people would do this mess, there would be convulsing, there would be the foaming, there would be eyes rolling. It was a demon-possessed 
activity where these people were, were, were being manipulated and used of Satan. This is a very, very uh, unfortunate and ugly time. And we're told that her masters made a lot of gain by doing that. It, it's interesting, that word masters is used about 750 times in the Bible. You know who it usually refers to? Jesus. Usually master is referring to Jesus. And that tells us a lot. You, if you are saved here today, He owns you. You are His possession. This is not a, oh, I'll just kind of do what I want to do, tack Him onto my life. No, He owns you. And that's the way we should be looking at our relationship with Him. He is Lord. He's the one that we answer to. These men owned this girl in that sense. And they, she was making them rich. They were getting much gain. That tells you how prevalent this activity was where people would want to have the fort, their fortunes told. Now here's the first thing that hit my mind as I'm reading this. How can demons tell the future? Are they omniscient? No. We know they're not. Here's an illustration that might help you a little. I obviously can't tell the future. But I can tell you this. There's a 99 plus percent possibility that this afternoon I will be in that office getting ready for a service tonight. Could I get sick? Yes. Could I die? Yes. But most likely, I'm going to be in that room getting ready. I can predict that. Satan is a schemer. Satan is a deceiver. Satan, is, he's, not, he's smart. He knows a lot of things that are coming and he is the prince of the power of the air and he's working in his followers and directing. So he can give some pretty good, quote, uh, prophecies. That's a lot of what was happening with these people that were possessed. So, how does any of this apply to you and me? Your application statement. As we're serious about serving our Lord, we should expect opposition. It's coming. We're just introduced to it here. We're in a battle against the powers of darkness. That's Ephesians 6, 12. And we fight by following our commander. That's what you and I need to be doing. So, again, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the fight? I'm going to tell you now, if Paul and his team had not been in the fight, if they had been sitting on the sidelines, they wouldn't have had to worry about this opposition. Whether we get into the fight or not, that's our choice. We make a conscious choice. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't been converted, then you're in the same predicament as this young girl. You're a slave to sin. And you don't have any options. You're lost. You need a Savior. So that's the condition she was in. You and I, as followers, we make a choice. Okay, your next point. Verse 17, the devil's routines are subtle. The devil's routines are subtle. Verse 17, the saying followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. As I was reading through these verses, you know, it's, it's almost uncomfortable in some ways to read of, of, of the demonic activity and exactly what Luke was bringing out, but God recorded it. And so here we get another ugly picture, if you will. The wording, the saying followed, 
continually, continually. She just kept on coming. She wouldn't let up. And she cried. Okay, here's what she was not doing. There was no little boo-hoo. There was no sobbing. This cried is the word we would have for somebody who shrieks. Kind of a loud, top of your voice, uh, eerie type shrieking. That's the word here we have for crying. And then it gets a little confusing. She says, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds like what she's saying is a good thing. Well, the, when it says here, these men are servants of the Most High God, that's the word that the Jews would have used to say for, for Yahweh. That's the word that they would use for their God. It's also the word that the Greeks would use for Zeus. So it's a, it's, it's a generic term. And when, when we know that demons do this, we saw, we've seen that all through our journey through the Gospels. You remember with the demoniac uh, of Gadara, we'll go back to him in a little while, the demon said, we know who you are, most, the most holy one, we know you, and what did Jesus do? Be quiet. He didn't want praise from them. He didn't want them being the one to adore him. So use those words. He silenced them. These people, these, these demons knew who he was. And they said, He shows us the way of salvation. Now, the word that's in there uh, is not in, there's not a definite article. If you look at what's showing to us the way of salvation, that article's not there. It's, they show unto us a way of salvation. Now, that would be kind of like, in, in their culture, that would have been good. Because they have a plethora of gods. And he's just, he's one of many that's going to be a way of salvation for you. All roads lead to heaven, that kind of mess. This statement that she's making, it could have some good parts to it. But it's not very direct. It's saying this is the truth. It would have fit in with their Greek religion. Now, let's even, let's say, for sake of argument, that it was a good statement. That it was a totally, uh, uh, it, it, it was everything was just good. It's not being misrepresented. Any of this? What's the big deal with this? This is an example of Second Corinthians eleven thirteen and fourteen. That's the passage where we have Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. Satan knows how to make himself look good. Satan knows how to put on a good show, look attractive, and let me just put it in our context, I would say today, the devil knows how to make himself look Christian. He knows how to stand in front of a church. He knows how to have people who will say things that are technically right, that lead people down a wrong path. He's he's a deceiver. He knows how to do this, and he knows how to look good. This is a good example of him doing this. One of the problems with it is this. If they take, if Paul and his crew take this affirmation of praise of God from this girl, what's going to happen when they leave and go to the next town? You've got this demon-possessed girl and her masters lining up, so to speak, with Paul. They leave, it just puts them in a perfect position to be deceiving and to take over and to squish the work that God has started as an, and I'm not saying that's exactly where this is heading, but it is a problem to have them lining up with Paul and his teaching is 
a problem. It's dangerous. Now, I am going to assume that the girl believed what she was saying. The girl knew. Demons know. Is Jesus Lord? You better believe He is. Demons know it better in some ways than we do. They've experienced His power. They have experienced His hostility towards them. They're the ones that got booted out. They know how powerful He is. The devil believes and trembles. This belief that that she would have had, I'm going to say she really does believe this. But that's not good enough for salvation. For salvation, it's not just, okay, I believe it. Because I believe in Jesus. I also believe that George Washington existed. I believe Napoleon existed. I believe Jesus existed. He's just one of many that can exist. I believe that He died on a cross. Why do I believe that? History says so. I believe He rose from the dead. So what? So does the devil. It's not a matter of just, I have this knowledge of something. It's a matter of, am I going to put my trust in Him? Am I going to give myself to Him? Am I going to become His follower? Repentance has to happen for salvation to occur. The devil can believe all of this. So here's what we've got. Paul's listening to this girl yak and scream about their servants of God. They're showing you the way of salvation. Can I just encourage us? One of the things we need to learn from this. Make sure you're testing the spirits. Test the spirit. First John four one. We need to test the spirits to see if they're of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Does that mean you need to do this? Yeah, you should be listening to everything I say and testing it. Does this line up what I'm saying with this book? And if it doesn't, there should be red flags going up and confrontation being made in a loving way, etc. It needs to happen. We need to. Be Bereans. Probably, I'd say what I see most people today doing is just being lazy and not wanting to know their Bible good enough to be able to question what is being said and what is happening. We need to be careful with this. We need to look for false doctrine. We need to look for the devil working in ways that are going to be subversive to the will of God. Okay, your application statement. Just because someone has some of the right words doesn't make them a follower of Jesus. This can apply to you. It can apply to people in here. We can't see the heart. The Bible says by their fruit, you'll know them. So let's be careful. Let's be careful in how far we go in following what other people say. And again, that includes what I preach. You confirm it with the Word of God. Don't be simplistic. Okay, point nine. The devil must be resisted. The devil must be resisted. Verse 18. And this she did many days. You see her persistence? That's common. In spiritual warfare, that's common. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. My experience, this is what I've seen. I can't say it's always this way. There is not often a frontal attack from 
I'll say demonic forces. There's not these frontal attacks of you're walking with Jesus and now I'm going to tempt you and test you and try to get you somewhere way off in left field. Usually there's this gradual, I'll use this word again, persistent chipping away. Chipping away. I have dealt with so many people, and these are the words I keep hearing over and over. I have no idea I was here, and all of a sudden it's like I'm here. I don't know how I made this jump. I don't know how this sin really got a hold in my life. I'll tell you how it got a hold in your life. You kept getting chipped away and chipped away and giving in and giving in. That's why when you see sin in your life, you don't play with it. You don't need to tame it. You don't need to control it. You need to kill it. You need to get rid of it. You need to want it out of your life so that you don't end up making this quantum leap. The devil is very, very persistent with these temptations. And they just keep coming and keep coming. We need to kill these things. This is what this girl is doing. It's just persistent. She kept coming and wearing down these defenses. So don't play games with it. Here we see what the result it had on Paul. Paul being grieved. That word means he was annoyed. He was disturbed. It bugged him. It bothered Paul. Now what was it? that bothered him. Well, it could have been, here this girl is who's possessed by a demon. And that grieved him that she would have to go through this, this, this possession. And it, that could have been what grieved him. It could have grieved him that you have these demons giving praise, if you will, or mouthing the right words about his God. He doesn't want to be guilty with association with these demonic beings. And maybe again, it's just that girl's condition. Just her enslavement. Maybe it's a combination of all of the above. But here's what happens. Paul turns, he speaks to that spirit, and he commands that spirit to come out. It says it came out at that hour. That word literally is that instant. It didn't come out an hour later. That minute, when he said it, that demon was expelled from this girl's body. Now, this brings up an issue that I want to cover kind of not in depth, but can we do this today? Should we do this today? Let me answer that by asking you some questions. Are we able, and don't answer this one because I don't want you to be embarrassed if you get it wrong, are we able to do the work of the apostles? Can we do what the apostles did? Now, 2 Corinthians 12.12 says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. These signs that the apostles did, it was their signs. These were signs that God worked through those men. Now, does that mean that God is not, it's not possible for God to do anything else today? God can do whatever He wants to do. And I'm not going to put God in a box, so to speak, and say God can't do this, but I'll say this, it is at best extremely unusual. Because these were listed in that passage in 2 Corinthians as signs of apostles. God gave them these abilities. Now what do these signs include? Things like raising the dead. Remember Eutychus? He was dead. And Paul raised him from the dead. Anybody have that uh, desire lately to go raise someone from the dead? We, had, we, we saw Peter and Paul both Heal a lame beggar? That was something apostles did. 
these guys were able to go and to speak in unknown languages to people when they had never learned these languages, somehow they were able to go and do this. And here we see they're able to cast out demons. These are works of apostles. We're kind of quick to push some of their works out and on this one say, no, I'll pull this one in. This is not, it's, not, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. These are works of apostles. Now, does the Word of God, here's another question for you, does the Word of God ever command you and I to cast out demons? The answer is no. It never does. Now that's Scripture silence. It is always somewhat problematic to base an argument on Scripture silence. It's weak, but it is there. Here, we're never commanded. So let's go a step further. Are we even encouraged to cast out demons? No. That never happens in Scripture. So how are you and I, your fourth question, how are we supposed to fight spiritual warfare? What do we do? Well, Ephesians 6 is our key passage that we should go to. 10 and following, and and also uh, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Both of these passages show us what we're to do is submit to God. We submit to what God is doing in our lives, and as we submit to God and His righteousness, we take a defensive posture. We're told to stand firm. We are to resist. We're not told to rush in where angels fear to trod. We're to stand and take that defensive posture. As you go through the list of the of the um, the armament, the the I just forgot my word. The pieces of the the, the clothing for your for your battle. Okay. As we as you look at each one of those, every one of them, every one of those characteristics personify Jesus. Here's, here's how you can summarize that whole section. You and I are to put on Jesus. We are to have Jesus controlling. We are to totally follow Him. That should be our whole goal. To put the armor. That's the word I was looking for. We're to put on His armor. We are to pray. And we are to resist as those temptations, etc. come. So what do we do when you have unsafe people who come along our path and we have this idea, you know what, this this person might be possessed. What do we do? I would put this in the same category as I did those other apostolic miracles that they did. We don't need to rush in and try to start exercising things. What we need to be, just in the same way that you're not going to see someone who is dead and rush in to try to raise them. I don't see anybody trying to rush in and raise lame people. I don't see anyone telling our missionaries, head to the field and skip language school. God will give you what you need. Same way, let's not rush in with this idea, okay, we can exercise these demons. We're not told to do this. Could God do it? Yes, He can. But at best, it's not the norm. So what do we do if we run into something like that? This is going to sound simplistic. Share the gospel. Give the gospel. That's it? Well, yeah, that's it. But you know, Romans, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God. 
We know from Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God does a lot of damage in that case. It builds up. Damage is not the correct word there, but you and I need to give the Gospel. Your application statement. The key to our spiritual warfare is to rest in Jesus and follow Him. It goes hand in hand with being in His Word. It goes hand in hand with being in prayer. You and I need to submit to God and then resist and stand firm. That's our job. Point 10. The world won't receive us. Verse 19. And when our master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. I thought about putting these verses with our next section on the Philippian jailer, which they would fit very, very well, but I, I, I pulled them back into this because when you and I experience resistance, it is not, it's not normal for it just to be in the spiritual realm. It comes down to people. It comes down to oppression hitting us. And, and this is a good example of this. Or it kind of bleeds over. So let's look at what happened with Paul and then how it applies to us. So the first thing he starts with, they saw their hope, the hope of their gains was gone. That's a play on words. It's hard to see here. But back in verse 18, you see where the, um, they commanded the demon to come out of her? That's the exact same word as the hope of their game was gone. He's making a play on words. What he's saying is, we made the demon go away and now their prophets went away. It's the same thing. So both of those things, the demon and their hopes, were all gone. And the hope is the word that we like. We don't have a hope so salvation. No one, I don't think there's anybody in here who is a genuine follower of Jesus who say, well, I, I really hope I can make it to heaven. It's more of, I've got this hope. I've got this confident expectation. Same word is being used here with these masters. They had a very confident expectation that that girl was going to make them richer. And that's what they wanted. They were using her. They didn't care about her. That's what happens in people's lives. When they have this love of money, it distorts their spiritual perception. And that doesn't stop just because someone becomes a follower of Jesus. That love of money distorts spiritual perceptions. We saw the same thing. Uh, remember, we mentioned earlier the, um, the demoniac of Gadara. What do those demons want to do? Let us go into the pigs and let's run this thousands of pigs down the hill. The people were ticked. Do you know what they, when those pigs went away, their money went away. That was their profit. And they wanted Paul... I mean... Which one was Jesus and all of yeah all they wanted him out of there. They didn't. They, they weren't pleased that their hopes were gone. This is what happens with some Christians today. Sometimes we can just end up ignoring the word of God because we're too busy wanting to make profit, too busy worrying about things we don't have or things we do want. We need to not let our goals distort our spiritual reality. So here, these Christians are, are, are the, um, the attack, I should say, on these Christians. We see that these people didn't care about the girls, about that girl. 
They wanted their own way. They wanted to do things. So what these men did was they did what was their right. They had the right to do what they did. They took Paul and Silas, drug them to the marketplace. Marketplace is not Walmart. It's not just where you go buy your food. This was it's called the Agora. This is where you would bring people and you would have two magistrates there. Rome set this up. They had a Bema seat, the judgment seat, and right beside this Bema seat was usually the jail. They could command beatings. This was where everything would happen. And you know who did this a lot? Paul. Paul would bring people to this Bema seat. Paul would bring Christians, have them tortured, have them beaten, cast them into jail, try to get them killed. This would have been like that deja vu thing for Paul. He's the one who's guilty of doing all of this, and now he's just on, on the receiving end. So here's what happened. The devil tried to infiltrate. He tried to get inside with this demon-possessed girl. It didn't work. So now that they cast out that demon, he's going to go to the outside. He tries to do the persecution. Again, this is very similar to what we see today. He'll try different tactics to sideline you. He wants you sidelined. And if we don't see opposition, you might want to wonder, am I sitting on the sideline? Am I actually in the fight? I'll guarantee you this. If you make up your mind to get in the fight, if you make up your mind to take a stand for Jesus and actually go out and make contacts and love people and try to see them coming to Christ, you better be prepared. Because there will be opposition. People don't mind you believing whatever you want to believe. They don't care if you're religious. They don't care what you really think in your head as long as you don't affect them. We need to make sure we are lovingly affecting people. That's our job. And notice the charges they use. They could, what can they do? I mean, we're going to come before these judges and say, Judge, in the power of Jesus, they cast the demon out of this girl and freed her. And because they have helped this girl, we're not going to make money. They can't do that. It's not going to go over. So what do they do? They start making up charges. They played on emotions. First one they made, these men being Jews. Okay, why would that bug people? Because it was just before this time frame that the emperor, Claudius, expelled every Jew from Rome. He was ticked with Jews. And that was a sentiment that was all over the Roman Empire. These men, they're Jews. And he's playing on their emotions. And he says they, they exceedingly trouble our area. That's a lot. They weren't, but it was shrewd. They were smart to bring this up. Because what they're saying is these people are causing an uproar. Rome didn't put up with uproars. They're causing confusion. They're, they're causing riots. It wasn't true. And then they make one more charge. Now this one was technically legit. Technically. Notice the last thing. They say they're, they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. Rome said you can have whatever religion you've been practicing, but you can't proselytize Romans. You can't go around and preach your doctrine. You can't try to change people. And if your religion gets in the way of our religion, which is emperor is a god, if it gets in the way or says this is wrong, you can't do that. That's, that's, that's not their custom for them to observe. Technically, what they're saying there is right. Now here's my question for you. 
they're being accused of being, in essence, followers of Jesus. They're being accused of trying to convert Romans. If you got accused today, is there any evidence to convict you? Can they look at any area in my life and say, yep, that guy's a believer, that guy's a follower of Jesus. Is there, can people put us on trial and find us guilty or bring charges against us? Can I encourage us? We need, we need to try to live our lives in such a way so that people can, can easily see proof that we're a follower of Christ. They don't have to look hard to figure out if we're one or not. They're going to know because we open our mouths. They're going to know because we're loving people and trying to make disciples that should, people should easily be able to convict us of this. And if they can't, we're wrong. We're wrong. Okay. Your application statement. Which one of these groups do you look most like? Are we like these owners who rebel and get angry when our desires are threatened? This is the way I want it. It's not happening. I'm going to get hot. The Christians can do this just as well. Because here's how we do it. We segregate church from life. We segregate our relationship with Jesus to be something that happens just in these walls. That's our religious life. The rest of the week is mine. I do what I want to do. That's called hypocrite. And that's what we've got to avoid. Are we like those people? Are we like these who are standing out because they are actively trying to make disciples? That's what I want to be. I want to be actively seeking disciples. To see people come to Jesus. I want to make those contacts. People who are not followers of Jesus, they don't have an option. They are living for self simply by virtue of the fact that they have not submitted to Jesus and become His follower. They have no option to please Jesus at that point. But Christians, you and I, we need to be just like Paul and his team, and we need to be serious-minded about serving Jesus. In every area of our lives, nothing is off-limits. Everything should be, and whatever we do, there should be that goal to serve Him. And it doesn't matter what pressures come. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter who turns on you. We are to serve Jesus because our Lord is worthy. He deserves it. And if you're going to say, yeah, I love Him, I appreciate that He saved my soul, that's cheap if you're not going to follow Him. He is worthy. So let's give it to Him. Let's give Him what He deserves. It's us. Let's follow Him. Let's stand. If you're here this morning and you've never become a follower of Jesus, you are in some ways just like that little girl. You're in bondage. You're in bondage to your sin. And and here's the encouraging part. Jesus, what He wants to do is free you from that bondage. He wants to give you a relationship with Himself. That's what He desires to do because He loves you. If you want to know more about that, would you please pull one of us aside and let us help you? That's the most important thing you could do today. Christian, I want us to think about all that Jesus has done for us. Think about what He did in drawing you. Think about what He's doing for you currently. 
how can we do anything less than submit to Him? Follow Him. Actively try to further His kingdom. How can we do anything less? I encourage you during this time, you do business with God. Let Him work. 